the room fell away, you know, the, the body fell away. And the only experience was something I would describe as sitting in the sun, which is the only way that seems to make sense. It was something like an orange saffron brilliant blaze. It was brilliance. It was like that was the only thing that existed and the sense of identity, the sense of what it is that I am was merged with that. There was a timelessness to it. It seems like as I experience it again, as I'm telling you, it seems like it can go on forever. It seems like it is going on forever. It is, there's a timelessness to it. Like it seems like it actually didn't start at some point and does, is not going to end or doesn't have to end. Hello, Dr. Kumar again. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, Sergey. It's good to see you again. Glad to see you too, my friend. Well, today we're going to talk about your near-death experience. So what happened? Uh, towards the end of medical school, in my third or fourth year, I came to visit home, came back home to my parents' home. So I came back home to Maryland, um, where I grew up, and I was at my parents' house, and I was in my bedroom uh, reading some book. Um, something about philosophy, actually, which I was often reading. I was always interested in these topics. And something caught my interest, and I kind of focused on it. I narrowed my interest, or narrowed my kind of focus. And in that moment, it is something like uh, dynamite went off. Um, as if somebody had put a match to a stick of dynamite, and it just, boom. And, you know, the the room fell away, you know, the, the body fell away. And the only experience was um, something I would describe as sitting in the sun, um, which is the only way that seems to make sense. It was something like an orange saffron brilliant blaze. It was brilliance. And it was like, that was the only thing that existed. And the sense of identity, the sense of what it is that I am was merged with that. There was a timelessness to it. It seems like, you know, as I experience it again, as I'm telling you, it seems like it can go on forever. It seems like it is going on forever. It is, there's a timelessness to it. Like it seems like it actually didn't start at some point and does, is not going to end or doesn't have to end. And at some point came this feeling that of wanting to go forward or that feeling that everything that I had ever kind of wanted or anything that I was I had angst about anything that I had this, you know, I had this, I used to have this kind of restlessness or this, um, I always wanted to know more. I felt like it wasn't enough and medical school wasn't satisfying it. And regular school wasn't satisfying it. And even spirituality and, and philosophy as it is, wasn't satisfying it. It was getting somewhere, but it wasn't sad. And I realized, okay, this is what it was. And then as the experience continued, there was a sense that, 
okay, it's almost like passing through a gateway. And there was the sense that if I continued, I wasn't really doing anything, but for whatever it's worth, if I continued doing whatever it is I was doing, being here, then it would all be done forever. There'd be no going back. And at the same time, I knew this is everything I had ever wanted in a sense, in a sense, maybe not completely, but in a sense, it was, it was the answer, so to speak. And, and so that part of me, I guess, couldn't, it, it was like magnetized, you know, it, it wasn't a voluntary thought. I wasn't like trying to do something, but it was just, I was being drawn forth. And just to, as it was going past the point of no return, just then almost like you're going to take a step and go into the ocean. But just before you go into the ocean from the beach, then there was a, a flame that came up within this brilliant infinite orange blaze. There was, I don't know, how, a, a, bla a blaze, another blaze or a flame that appeared and or I say conveyed the feeling that this wouldn't be fair, that, and that there were still, there were still things to do. That even though this, yes, this was it, even though this was what that restlessness was about, even though, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, everything, still there is, there is something more to do and it wouldn't be fair essentially. So on, on, Perceiving that there was a truth in that, that I felt, it felt like it was still up to me, but it didn't feel right to then. So it's almost like you're about to do something and then you say, let me pause, let me just pause for a second. And that pause is all it took. Like uh, what it feels like to me is when I paused, everything that was remaining to be done, like a rubber band shot back and yanked me back and I went whoosh. and then everything that the room is back, the body is back and everything is kind of back the way it was almost like catapulted back by what it was that was remaining to do. And I say in the, in the same breath, I say everything was like, as I left it, so to speak, and at the same time, it was, it was totally different. It was, it was like uh, freedom. It, it was like you're actually seeing for the first time. You're actually, you know, you know, not intellectually, but you know, directly, intimately, viscerally, experientially, like what this is, what this world is what this body is, what this lifetime is, this kind of thing. You get the nature of things, so to speak. You know, it's not that all the details are there, but you get the nature of things and, and you understand like what it is that we are trying to understand through science, you know, and through astronomy and biology and chemistry and all of these, all of these ologies, you know, what is it that we're trying to say? And you're, what spirituality is trying to get at through practices and where the um, apparent conflicts are, you know, one of the things that became clear is that there are no contradictions, that all contradictions are apparent contradictions from certain vantage points of knowledge and understanding. 
I'm just going to take a moment here. Do you want to start asking or do you want me to keep going? Well, let me ask you something. Do you think it was that a Kundalini awakening or maybe I'm wrong about it? It seems like a Kundalini awakening to me. Yeah, it it it, it sounds like it probably is that. It is that uh, that energy that is stored uh, as the body, near the body, in the body that is released. Yes. Now, do you, you mentioned past lives. Now, do you ever have any glimpses of your past life experiences? I do. I have. Yes, I have. I think I probably won't talk too much about some yeah. of those, um, but yeah. yes. Uh, I can tell you some things were, um, especially the things that were traumatic and that needed to be healed for me to do the work I'm doing now. Um, those things especially came to light um, and also some of the nature of the work that I'm doing, all of, some of those things too. Now, when we met, you described that you've seen these lights around you. Do you see them right now? Yeah, so the way I would describe that is that I feel that what we call space and things, of course, but even space is actually made out of light. It, that space is not an emptiness, which we know even scientifically, we know that there's, there's energy. We say there's energy that fills all of space, but I think it's more than that. I think space itself is an energy. It's not that there's something called space that is full of energy, but energy is space. And that from a deeper perspective, if you see my two hands, uh, there's no fundamental difference between the hand and the space that's here. But in our culture, in our world culture, in our educational culture, we say, well, the hand is, of course, it's, it's matter or it's something solid. The space, I mean, it's, you know, it's the distance between, it's a different, either it's empty or we'll say it's a kind of energy that's totally different than the hand. Uh, but I would say no, that the hand and the space are made of the exact same thing. And it's actually a habit of perception that makes us give accent or give importance to the hand and the hand and not the space in between. You know, in art, uh, I know you're also an artist and photographer, you know, negative space, right? So we say this is positive space where you have something and in between it's negative space where you have nothing. So the artist knows this is actually important. So they give it a name. It's negative space and positive space, both space. So the artistic mind recognizes that the space is as important as the thing. And that comes from this deeper recognition that both space and the thing and the matter are made from the same thing. And we can say in a sense that that is light. And, and I don't mean the reflected light that we see. You can see my hand because of reflected light, right? But there's the original light that is unreflected. And that original light is that which constitutes, we can say, the so-called physical world and the so-called mental world. It's one and the same. Yeah, we are so mesmerized by our environment that we cannot get a concept that everything is light and energy. Everything vibrates. Yes. Because if you go into the really, really powerful micro, uh, microscope, let's say you put this microphone in the microscope, you're going to see there is no solid it's yes. all space between each yes. molecule each, each atom everything moves yes. everything is in movement 
Yes. And then we see, okay, everything is energy. It's nothing solid here. Yes. But because we see it with our, you know, with our eyes here every day, we can't understand that. Yes. And even beyond the level of molecules, molecules are made from atoms. Atoms are made from subatomic particles. Subatomic particles are made from elementary particles, which are supposed to be the smallest bits. And generally, we stop asking questions there in medical science and in generally in public. But if you ask what elementary particles are made of, they are local patterns, local vibrations of a non-local field of energy. So the smallest things are not made from smaller things. The small things are actually parts of infinite fields of energy, right? So it is energy to begin with. Uh, and the way you relate that to a broader worldview is that those fields of energy that physics talks about, like the Higgs field or the electron field, electromagnetic field, these fields are basically partial mathematical experimental representations of a broader consciousness, of a broader mind, like the second mind, which we talk about. Yeah, I don't know. I might be wrong, but I have a concept that let's say you go into the Okay, we have a concept of big universe. It's all bigger, bigger, and bigger. But if you go into the smaller side, it goes like this, and it's another universe over there, the, yeah. the, the yeah. smallest one. Yeah. Let's say you go into this molecule, and it's infinite. Yeah. It's infinite the universe. Yeah. So, but we don't have this concept. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I said, I don't know, I was like five, six years old. I was talking to somebody I said, about God. And I said, we can't understand God with our minds because my, our minds are finite. God is infinite. We see everything as finite. And I was a little kid when I was making those assumptions. But you got to understand, I, I, I grew up in Soviet Union. There was no God back in Soviet Union. It was eight years. But for some reason, I was thinking about it back then. But let me ask you this. How your life changed after this experience? So immediately... Afterwards, uh, I I remember <laughs> I, I remember sitting in the chair. I was still <laughs> I was still sitting in a chair, and um, it I was looking at the body sitting in the chair. Oh, you you were looking from yeah. Uh, I was looking okay. at the body. Uh, it, I mean, sometimes I was with the body. Sometimes I was not with the body. It was it was both, but. Now, as I'm seeing it, I, I was looking at the body, and and like I said, the the main thing was that everything was constituted of light. Okay, it's almost like you say a house is made of bricks. Okay, space was made of bricks of light of of, of light, and and so was the body, so was the room, the bookshelf, all of these things. Um, I have I have to say, <laughs> it's. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's so, it's so beautiful. I think, I, I think truth and beauty are the same. Okay. And when you have been told stories your whole life by all kinds of people who are usually well-meaning, but don't really maybe uh, understand some things or get some things. I think for children, it creates a disharmony, right? Because you have to live by certain stories, but it goes against perhaps, or it's not quite fitting with what is most true, right? It's like trying to, you have a, 
you have a triangle shaped hole and another triangle, but one triangle, the angle is a little off. It doesn't fit. It, it just doesn't seem right. And so when what is true shines through, there's just this deep, deep, deep peace and rest. And it's finally like, ah, it all makes sense. It all fits. It's all, there actually is no contradiction. <laughs> there actually is no, you know, something like this. So this was the initial feeling and also of wonder, of beauty. And then this, and then, then I got up, uh, I don't think I really knew what I was doing maybe, or maybe I wanted to see what was happening, something like that. And I went you into were the still, bathroom. You were still on the other side when you got up, you were still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still, it's still, let's say the door is still open. Right. And, and went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and didn't recognize the guy in the mirror. Right. Because it, and I, it wasn't clear why, and it didn't seem wrong. I didn't say, oh, you know, it just, there just was no quite, no recognition, almost like somebody else. But in, in retrospect, I realized that it's, it's also because there was probably just no tension in that body, as opposed to before there was tension, you know, and even if, even if you can't totally detect it on a person's face, you can recognize tension deep within. And when that released, um, that non-recognition, that was probably one of the factors in that kind of non-recognition. So there was some time period where it was just me going from that bathroom and then back to the room. And I don't know, you know, just kind of sitting there and not doing something. And then eventually, you know, started, I went out of the room and started talking to the family and things like that again. And then probably went through really intense um, beginning of my residency training where the, the door was kind of opening and closing, opening and closing, you know, never totally closed, um, sometimes totally open, but never totally closed and, and kind of going back and forth, almost like a breeze that's opening and closing that door. And that forced me to start to integrate this kind of traditional life with a broader life. And it forced me to develop my language in new ways, use language in new ways. It forced me to, um, you know, look at health in new ways, to understand purpose in new ways, so many things. And so that began a process. I actually got married soon after that, started my training in emergency medicine soon after that. So then, you know, hardly sleeping, working 20, 36 hours in a row and, you know, these kinds of things. So all kinds of things were happening. And uh, eventually it, it took about 10 years to really kind of stabilize in an integrated experience, or I would say integrating because it still happened. The integrating never ends, but at least to gain stability, learn how to walk again, learn a language, be able to express and talk to people. That all took time. So basically learning again, how to function in this realm yes. again, realm. So now let me ask you this. How did your immediate family or friends or colleagues in the university, how they reacted to your changes? I mean, that was probably very noticeable. I don't 
have much memory of that. I think generally I tended to be a quieter person in general, uh, maybe not with my some of my close friends, but this was always this was also closer towards the end of medical school. So most of the schooling had finished and there was a little bit, there might've been a little bit of break, I think. And, uh, you know, before the residency started. So I don't actually remember, to be honest, I don't remember, okay. um, reacting with other people or interacting with other people. The, the real challenge came when I started my training, because that's when you very much have to interact with people. And that was very difficult for me, that part. Once I started my training, um, because especially in medicine, you, you, you have to get into a very narrow frame of mind to think about anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, diagnosis from a particular lens. You know, it, it's useful from a particular lens, but when the lens is much broader and when there's no practice in shifting that lens very easily, now it's much easier for me. But at, at that time, it wasn't. It was very difficult to talk to people and to have them understand. So I was kind of pretending, you know, I was like, I was just pretending, pretending to be normal. Yeah. <laughs> pretending. Now, now, when you were in that experience, did you notice any concept of time or that was like infinity for you? How did you perceive that time over there? Or there was no time at all. So as it happened, as I was sitting in the sun, so to speak, uh, there was no time. And since then, the idea of time or experience of time has shifted completely, right? So, so for the, ex the experience right now is kind of a timeless experience that I'm having right now, as I'm talking to you here, meaning it's almost as if I, I know we, we believe in, in this space-time continuum of a world, right? Like, so for example, I'm in a room right now, you're in a room right now, and I know we're about three and a half hours away from each other on the East Coast of the United States. So technically I could walk outside into my car, drive, stay on the phone with you on the video, and in three and a half hours, I could see you in person, right? And we both would agree on that. Most people would agree on that. But the actual experience right now is there's a light display Okay. And there's a body and there's a body and there's, uh, there's an appearance. And in that appearance, we categorize things and we say, okay, there's space. There's a physical space. And then we invent something called a mental space where the mind is there. And then there's a virtual space where Sergey and Anup are meeting and you kind of create all, and then there's a physical continuity to the rest of the world. To me, that's all conceptual, even though it's totally inverted. People would say what I'm saying is totally conceptual and it's not the way it is. But the way I experience it is that this is a possibility and this is appearing. And as we navigate this, the so-called physical world structures itself in accordance with that. And so in that kind of experience, time is, is, is occurring with our actions. Like in a sense, we are creating time. Uh, rather than we are constricted by or going according to time. Yeah, but nevertheless, right now we are in 2D, right? We see the vision and we hear each other. What is 1D? I, I, I actually don't think so, Sergey. To me, it's depending on the level of perception, it is the depth of the dimensionality, right? So we could say this is infinite right now. There's infinite, there are infinite dimensions. And then depending on 
the faculties that we use, the perceptual mechanism that we use, are we, are we looking primarily through the eyes? Are we hearing primarily through the ears? Or are we looking at the function that functions through the eyes and the function that functions through the ears and the function that functions through the thoughts, etc.? So depending on how we engage instruments and perception, uh, that degree of dimensionality presents itself. So I, I wouldn't say this is 2D or 3D or 4D or, or whatever it is, but rather there are infinite possibilities, potentialities, dimensions here. And as we engage them accordingly, they are kind of make themselves available. Yeah, it would be 2D if we'd not be interacting, but we have this interaction and we're talking through our hearts right now. I feel the energy like I'm sitting next to you. Yeah. I'm feeling the same kind of energy. Yeah. I mean, can you explain that a little bit? How we can give the same emotions looking yeah. at three 2D pictures here? Yes. I yes. mean, you are just you are just an image right here. Yes. In front of me. And I yeah. am an image for you. Yes. But we are talking to our hearts with our souls right now yes. to each other. Yes. Well, so I think we have to look at our language very carefully. So when when I say you are an image to me, you say I am an image to you, and there's a there's a virtual connection through technology, and then we're talking through our hearts. I think these these are all codifications of language, conveniences of communication, conveniences of language, that are incompletely representing a greater truth. And the greater truth is this: is that you are not there, and I am not here. What is here and there? That it is not that you are somewhere else and I am somewhere else. We are both here. And how we experience that is through a story of dimensionality and through a story of that Sergey is a body in Virginia Beach. Anoop is a body in Northern Virginia. And we have these stories, but like you said so beautifully, how is it that we feel each other so intimately? How is it that the audience that's hearing this feels this? If you are so far away on somewhere else and somebody, it's not true that you're so far away. It's that we are both in this deeper space that is beyond space and time. And then we're representing through a three-dimensional world of space and time, and then taking on the stories of that three-dimensional world of space and time and believing that is true. And then we are backtracking from there using a language of 2D and heart space and souls to connect. Right. And also I think that if we are tuned to a similar vibration at this point. So that makes it, you know, makes it to be in the present for yes. both of us. Yes. And that's another, that's another um, instrument of communication, right? To talk about vibration because we need some other language. We cannot just talk about physical space and linear time. We need something else. So then we talk about oscillation or we talk about energy or we talk about vibration because we need a new language that connects different spaces, that connects across time, that can help us understand that. So this is a way of vibration, energy, et cetera, is a way of getting through our language and our concepts down to the real experience of what's happening. Yeah, coming back to this um, comment I made about Kundalini awakening, you know, I read about yogis. Some yogis meditate 20, 30, 40 years and they get nowhere. There are some yogis just sit under the tree and look in the tree and they get the awakening just by watching the tree. There are lots of stories about what we call awakening. Uh, some people call it spontaneous awakening. Some people say it takes over time. Uh, the thing to remember is that 
So there's no such thing as a spontaneous, spontaneous awakening, okay? There may be unrecognized work that's happening in the subconscious mind. Uh, there may be unrecognized processes. Remember, this is a multi-lifetime process. It's not something, just because somebody discovered something called spirituality five minutes ago, or just because somebody has never heard the word spirituality or hated spirituality, something happened, it doesn't mean it's actually spontaneous. It only means it was not consciously recognized what the process was that goes into that. So that's important because I think there are a lot of different categories and I don't think it actually matters that much. Some make better stories. They make more intriguing stories, but ultimately it's, it's opening the eyes more, so to speak, and, and realizing what this is and also what is happening in the world, not just the essential nature of things, but then the effect of that on, on the stories that are being told and what they mean and what our impact is in this lifetime. Yeah, but then also a person has to be ready for this awakening. You know, someone, if you're not ready, it can burn your wires inside of you. Yes. You know, it may be very powerful, so powerful people may go crazy. So yes. you prepare for this in this lifetime, maybe in a previous lifetime, as you prepare, you prepare, and it looks like right away, you got awakened, but it's been a thousand lifetimes. You may be meditating. You've been preparing yourself and teaching and studying all that. So, Right. And, and after this um, experience, that is when uh, I came, So I talked about the three minds a little bit, but I also came up with the four engines, nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. And each one has detail within each one, nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. Why? Because to stabilize in the experience. If the door is open all the way, you cannot function. If doors closed, also you cannot function because you know there's something terribly wrong. It's not right, you know? So how do you keep the door? How do you make it like the speedometer on your dashboard, the accelerator? How do you learn that, right? Through nutrition, movement, connection, right? You start to learn the mechanisms by which one can open the door a little bit, close the door a little bit, use it in different ways. So you talked about burning the wires. If you don't know how to do that, you can burn your wires, so to speak, much more easily because you're, it's, it's too much dynamite, you can say. Right. Like if you want to go to the gym and you start, you say, okay, I'm going to put some muscle on. You start working out like crazy, but you never work in your life. You're going to die in a couple hours, right? So you have to take it easy and prepare your body, prepare your mind, prepare your soul for awakening too. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to some extent. And, and it's, it's, to me, again, it's not just about preparation or something. There's a way of assimilating and being in the world that works with this process. And so it's before, it's during, it's after, it's, it's just a continuous kind of process. Now, you mentioned that sun. You've been sitting inside that sun or by the sun. Can you describe a little more in detail the sun that you saw over there in your experience? Yeah, it's indescribably beautiful. I would say it's an experience of splendor, splendor, brilliance. I would say arrival, completion, being home, uh, no boundaries, and simply being one's nature with no impulse to be something else, no impulse to modify this or to change it. So you said being being home did you feel that you were at home when you had that experience that was your home and you came back for a minute or whatever it was yeah it, it was 
It was like the the foyer. It was like you'd gone through the gate and going to the foyer, and you know, it's there was a a recognition, a familiarity. So you mentioned point point of no return. There was like a gate, or it was like a door, and you were almost stepping there, and then something pulled you back. So okay, it said to you in your subconscious and said, "You're not ready. You need to." do some things in life, whatever. And you came back, right? Yeah. So th- when I say gateway or something, it's metaphorical. The only thing was this brilliant blaze. And then it, th- there was a sense of passing through that. And then that kind of blaze stage would be over. That that was the sense, you know? And uh, what pulled me back in retrospect, I didn't know it at the time, what pulled me back were all the things, the desires that were left to be done, the things to complete in this lifetime that had not been completed before. The relationships to live out, you know, the things to say, you know, like this conversation, for example. It, this conversation is one example, but you can imagine thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of such things all put together has a force to it like a rubber band that's been stretched, 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 stretched. And if you stretch it just once more, it'll snap and there's no coming back, right? But when I, and and it probably takes a certain amount of force to get even that far away. It, I didn't feel any force, but it probably took, that was that explosion, that explosive force. But if you pause, it's all going to come. And that's exactly what happened. You know, that pause and that desire, that intention or that, passing forward yeah now you mentioned that you suddenly knew everything you got all the knowledge in the world at that moment did you bring any of that knowledge back yeah so i I want to be clear i didn't know any particulate knowledge like i didn't know necessarily about a thing or, or details but it's just like all your faculties have opened up so you can actually just see what things are. So if somebody's asking me a question, uh, and I'm not, I'm not making claims as to whether I'm right or wrong. That's for anybody else to decide whether it's right or wrong. But from my perspective, when I'm answering a question, it's not because I'm thinking about what the answer might be. I'm simply describing what I see. What I may be thinking about is what is the language? How do I put that in English to describe it? Right. But I'm not thinking about what the answer to that question is. I'm simply describing uh, what I see. So it's what I mean is that kind of knowledge, simply that that vision opens up. So that's that's what was known in that moment to the point that there was nothing left. There was no nothing left that I wanted to know. I didn't have any questions. And so then what about this? And then what about a past life? Or what about karma? Or what about reincarnation? Or what about enlightenment? Or what about what happens next? Or superpowers? Or dimensions? Or the world? Or these theories? You know, no, it was just, and it was just peace and rest. Now, later, as I started to communicate, then questions came again. Okay, then how do I talk about this in terms of medicine? How do I talk about it in terms of society? Or in terms of science and philosophy? There, there was curiosity and reading and learning and those kinds of things. But in terms of the, the fundamental experience of things and nature of things, it's, it's more descriptive. It's not arriving at something through deducing something.
Now, did you acquire any special abilities as a result of this experience? I would say no in the sense that, uh, you know, my body was not flying around, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know, or other things. There was uh, the ability to know things increases. You know, you can know things at the right time and everybody experiences this differently. Um, certainly a strong sense of electricity uh, around the body um, or electric-like nature around the body and um, the ability to adjust the body through attention, things like that, That's which is why I talk about mind-body flow theory. Depending on how we use our awareness and our attention, the body changes. Uh, so th things like that, yes, um, not in any sense of, um, I guess, like, um, what is it? What is the word? Like some kind of fascinating otherworldly kind of yeah. sense. No, not psychic abilities or something like that. Yes, that is there. That's there. So like I said, the things that I would say everybody has access to that opens up more, right? Because again, everything can be derived from this understanding that fundamentally there is a fundamental energy consciousness, whatever we want to call it. So then what is called psychic ability or communicating across distances is not actually communicating across distances because distance is within the first mind perspective. It's within the local, I call the educated mind's perspective of, of that difference and space-time orientation, right? But that mind that is more integrated, it's not about distance, right? My, my left hand doesn't have to travel to know what the right hand is doing, so to speak, because they're the same organism. So... Anything that acts on that principle becomes more likely or gets enhanced. Now, do you fear that at all? It depends on in what sense. In terms of the ending of the lifetime, no. It, it feels like the lifetime has already ended, to be honest. And uh, I, to me, what I see is not just this lifetime, even as I look at you now. Just like I said, when we look at this room, if you take a camera and do it, the camera will see one thing, right? At least the person who's looking at the screen that the camera records. But the vision of this room is different. It, it, it doesn't end at the boundaries of the room. So it, that's actually uh, what we call birth and death, what we call a lifetime. As long as we, we feel that we're physical and we're in a physical world, um, there's going to be some fear of death or there's going to be some apprehension or what is it, etc. But if you can see the boundaries of what we call the physical world, if you can see through the boundaries of what we, what we call the physical world, then that is what we call death on the other side of that. It's always here. It's that unknown that is kind of masked by the mind that only sees the physical world. And so you can imagine, let's say a lion. I've never seen a lion before, right? I would be scared because I've heard all the stories about lions and the lion is going to do this and it's going to eat you and it's hungry. I'd be scared of the lion. And one day when the lion comes, I'll be terrified and I'll run. But imagine the lion is living with you. The lion is sitting by you every time you talk. The lion's in front of you. The face is here. You know, it's here. It's here. Initially, you might be like, what is this? I don't know. And after a time, it's, ah, it's a lion. It's always there. So death is like this. Death is always here. It's right here. It's, it, and I don't mean this in a scary way that it's looking at us. What we call death is simply looking beyond the physicality and the of this physical world and beyond the timeline of one lifetime. And if a person sees beyond that all the time, then there's no scared, 
there's no fear of what we call death. Now, there's no desire to experience pain. It's not about pain, but this idea of death is totally demolished. No desire to feel suffering. Now, where can people find more about you, about your work, about your books, about your teachings, and how they can, can, can contact you? The best way to reach me is through healthrevolution.org. So you can go to that website, um, and there you can see interviews like this. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see other similar interviews I've had where I talk about all of these things in different ways. Um, and you can also join a free webinar. I do a couple webinars a month where I talk about um, the applications of this in health and healthcare. You know, so what are some of the big misconceptions in healthcare we have? Uh, what can we do about it? And then we do a meditation together. So webinars, you know, the books, the interviews, into it. So the courses are all there. It's all there on healthrevolution.org. I encourage you to check it out and to, you know, step into the unknown, step into the unknown a little bit more because there's a lot of beauty here. Now, if you have a message for your audience, what that would be? You are infinite. You have infinite potential and possibility. And you, as you are, are the way you need to be. Meaning that you in your original nature as you are is all that is needed. There's nothing that you have to get from somebody else. Uh, there's no way that you have to be, you know, to make things work other than being yourself and offloading a lot of the assumptions and the mandates and all those kinds of things. So don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. You are beautiful the way you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.